Hey friends, and welcome to True Crime Storytime. I'm your host, Ivana Estelle. This week, I'm switching things up a bit. The reason I started this podcast, of course, to expand full-time um, manifestation, but also it's because this is fun and I want to try new things. And so I thought of no better time than now to have a special guest on this week's episode. One of my best friends, Camille, is here. Hello. And Camille, I'm really glad you're on the show. Welcome. Do you want to tell anyone anything, any cool facts about you, anything new, anything they should know before we get started? Um, Nothing that they should know, but I'm really excited to be here. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to the show, like I said, and I am so glad that you're here. And I've never had a co-host before, so this is like very exciting for me because usually it's just like me and then like an afterthought and then me and then an afterthought. Now you get to be my afterthought. I'm honored to be your first (laughs) guest. This case this week is like Fatal Attraction meets Law and Order SVU. Ooh, you want to yeah. That's gonna be good. And the actions of the perpetrator is going to blow your mind. I found out about this story through the series Killer Cases. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. They're streaming on A&E and Hulu. And that's not an ad, by the way, although hopefully in the future, again, manifestation. But I just got to put my people on. You know? You know? The people got to know. We want to know. So, Camille, are you ready? I'm ready. This is the murder of Ryan Poston. Our story starts out in the town of Highland Heights, Kentucky. It's a really cute city with about 7,000 people, and it's home to Northern Kentucky University and General Cable, which is like a Fortune 500 company. It's like your quintessential American town. It gives me the vibe of what people outside of America think America looks like or what we used to portray on like TV and movies. I kind of think that kind of vibe. It's known to be pretty safe and so safe, in fact, that on its Wikipedia page, it literally lists this murder and only this murder in its historical events. And at the time Ryan Poston was living there, he had his own place and he was pretty familiar with the area, probably because he'd been in Kentucky for the majority of his life. Ryan Carter Poston was born five days after Christmas on December 30th, 1982 in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. He was the oldest of four. His three younger sisters, Allison, Catherine, and Elizabeth, all looked up to him. And honestly, I can't blame them. Ryan did incredibly well for himself. He attended Blessed Sacrament School, and during his high school years, he went to the International School of Manila in the Philippines and the International School of Geneva in Switzerland. So basically, before he was 18, he'd already traveled internationally academically twice. He ended up going to Indiana University for college. I actually covered them, like Indiana University in general, uh, two episodes ago. There were two students who went to IU and they died. Yeah. So So, there's that. (laughs) There are multiple campuses and it's just huge and beautiful. And while Ryan was there, he triple majored, something I didn't even think was possible. I barely survived one major. Talk about it. In history, geography, and political science. He then came back home to Kentucky, where he attended law school at Northern Kentucky University in Highland Heights. But after completing his Juris Doctor degree, he began working as an attorney in Cincinnati, Ohio. In 2011, Ryan pretty much had everything going for him. He was 28, a lawyer, making good money, and I didn't mention that Ryan was pretty handsome. He kind of gave me that, like, one tree hill meets 90210 look about him. 
Yeah, he's cute. I feel like he would have been the girl that everyone was crushing over in high school. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Ryan was also a really good person. Despite moving to Cincinnati to begin work, he stayed really close with his family. In fact, his parents actually separated early on, but the siblings and family always made sure to get together for any major holiday or celebration. The family actually ended up becoming blended with both of his parents getting remarried and everyone stayed together and connected really well. And I feel like Ryan was a trailblazer in that with him being like the oldest. He was described as brilliant and beautiful and above all kind. And even though Ryan loved his mom, Lisa, he and his father were extremely close, pretty much like best friends. Ryan's dad would often visit his son, stopping by the apartment to help him on a daily basis, either taking care of chores around the house or coming over just to chat, talking about the news, speaking on politics. They were really, really close. And I just want to give like a little bit of geography because I know I mentioned that Ryan was working in Cincinnati, Ohio, but his dad was able to visit him. Apparently, Kentucky and Cincinnati are really, really close and they're separated by the Ohio River. I feel like it's similar to like D.C. and Virginia. So even though he got a job in Ohio, he was basically still close to home. Ryan pretty much was a well-rounded person. He had a lot of friends and they described him as laid back, confident, and cool. And there's one thing they mentioned about their friend that was pretty standout. And that was that looks mattered to Ryan. Oh. Yeah. So this isn't just about like your service level looks, but for Ryan, it was how you presented yourself. He was really into wearing suits and carrying himself in the best way he could. So no matter who he met, he just kind of... Don't trust it. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess he likes, he likes, he likes to, look, to look good. He likes to have nothing wrong with that. He likes to, you know, stand out in a crowd. And when he met Shana Hubers at the time, she seemed like a really good fit for him. So Ryan and Shayna met over Facebook, and this is when she was just 19. She was actually friends with Ryan's cousin, Carissa, and that's kind of how they connected online. At the time, Shayna was a psychology student at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, which is about 80 miles from Highland Heights, where Ryan was. So it was kind of a long-distance relationship of sorts. Over the course of their relationship, she graduated cum laude in three years on scholarship and was pursuing a master's degree in school counseling. And that's going to become pretty ironic later on. She was born on April 8th, 1991, and lived her entire life in Lexington, Kentucky. Shayna was, on all accounts, beautiful, and I'm going to show you a picture of her. And I feel like looks definitely matter in this case. And the reason being, I just feel like the perpetrator kind of depended on that to get by or get away with this murder. Got it. Yeah. So Shayna had a bit of a sorority girl look to her. She had long brown chestnut hair and large blue-green eyes. She had a really pretty smile, and she was known to be bubbly and outgoing. She was driven. She wanted to finish school. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have kids. And for her, finding someone that was older and a little bit more mature seemed like the right way to go. Wait, how much older is he than her? So he's 28 and she's 19 when they meet. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not really sure how this age gap played a role, but I remember myself at 19 and I just feel like dating someone that was 28 probably isn't the best way to go. Especially meeting them on the internet. Yeah. 
And I don't know, they were just in two very different phases of their life. And consequently, even though on the outside they looked picture perfect, the couple would break up multiple times during their 18-month relationship. For Shayna, this was the perfect relationship. There are photos of them smiling, spending Christmas together, going out on dates. However, it was clear that these breakup moments came with reason. They would fight constantly. From statements from Ryan's friends, apparently early on this relationship seemed kind of doomed. Ryan had tried to cut things off initially, initiating a breakup more than once. His friend Tom Awadala spoke about the pair's rocky relationship. He said Ryan just wasn't able to break up. He was too nice and he didn't want to hurt her feelings. Another friend agreed with the same sentiment that Ryan was just trying to go easy on Shayna. It was kind of more than that. See, Shayna had become, or at least seemed, obsessed with Ryan. She was known to be super cold to his friends and would try to isolate Ryan. And when that didn't work and Ryan would break up or try to end things, Shayna's response was to say no. I'm going to read you a few of the text messages sent between the two over the course of their relationship. On June 16th, 2011, Ryan wrote to her friend, Quote, and Shayna went through my phone at some point in the middle of the night and saw my texts to you. On February 16th, 2012, Shayna wrote to Ryan, how could you treat me like this? You broke my heart. Please love me back, even as a friend. And on September 20th, 2012, Shayna was texting another friend and said, yeah, Ryan's being a dick. Ryan also worried about Shayna stalking him. He realized that she'd begun to go through his phone when he was not around or sleeping. So Shayna texted a friend on September 20th, 2012 again and said, I think he knows now I play on his Facebook. Ha 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 and block bitches. But we've all been there. Okay. So I'm personally against going through people's phones. Or having anyone go through mine, I think it's a major invasion of privacy. Have you ever done it? Yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah, I have. We've and, all been there. And before. I like and learned my lesson immediately. It's usually how it goes. Yeah, right. But it does happen, <laughs> and it's nothing. It's nothing out of the norm, right? A lot of people go through it in a relationship. However, Shayna began to abuse this. There were no boundaries. In fact. There were times that Ryan would try to break up with Shayna. She would blow up his phone and show up at his house. On three different occasions, Shayna broke into Ryan's home and was waiting for him. Things were clearly beginning to get out of control. Messy. By the end of September 2012, Ryan had truly had enough. It had been over a year and a half of this back and forth, and Ryan had expressed to friends and family that he was really reaching his breaking point. He tried to break up with Shayna, but that only resulted in him receiving hundreds of messages of her begging. Hundreds? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I don't mean just hundreds in total. I mean, Shayna would text Ryan 50 to 100 times a day. Whoa. Yeah. With no response? He, so. Or some response? Sometimes. He would like, at one point, he would text her like, stop texting me, please. And Shayna would just wear him down and exhaust him. And if that didn't work, Shayna would show up at Ryan's house. Or go through her social media accounts that she had access to. It isn't clear if Ryan was worried for his safety, but he definitely knew that this wasn't right and it wasn't normal. Slowly but surely, Ryan created a plan to distance himself and let go, hoping that eventually Shayna would get to the point where things were over and she'd understand that. 
Shayna at this point had tried everything. She messaged her friends saying how messed up it would be if they were really over. She would beg Ryan. She would try sexual innuendos, but nothing was working. Ryan at one point looked at his life. He had a good family. He was doing well at work and he was ready to be single and date in a healthy manner. And in October of 2012, someone caught his eye. It happened to be Audrey Bolt. Have you ever heard of her? Nope. Okay, so at the time, in 2012, she was Miss Ohio USA. Audrey was also stunning. She had long blonde hair. She was super confident. If you go back and watch, like, the pageant that she's in, she's gorgeous with this bright yellow dress. And the two had actually connected on Facebook. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this was, when was this again? 2012. Okay. Facebook was hot. My Facebook was pretty hot at the time. There's there's some cyberbullying going on now. Oh, God. Yeah. No, that wasn't cute. I was victim, by the way, so. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're a victim. Oh, oh, okay. I wasn't bullying. Yeah, oh, I was confused. <laughs> I don't think I had that out. This is Yeah. And so Ryan was pretty excited. And on October 12th, 2012, the pair had set up a date. They were planning to go get a couple drinks, shoot some pool, and really just get to know each other offline. So remember how I said Shayna would log into Ryan's social media accounts? That must have been how she caught wind of the two communicating because she ended up downloading a picture of Audrey. There's speculation that maybe it was a jealousy thing. Audrey was this beautiful, older, successful woman. And for Shayna, though, she was doing well in life. Comparing yourself to a pageant girl just can't be easy. And someone who's older. Literally. And just like kind of more suited for Ryan. I think yeah. like the panic we're setting in. At around 8 p.m. on October 12th, the Campbell Police Department received a frantic call from a young woman who said, I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. Yeah. She continued, I killed him with a loaded gun in the house. She explained that she was standing about 15 feet from his dead body and explained that he was completely dead. The young woman was Shayna Huber. We saw it coming. We could see it coming. Shayna explained that her boyfriend Ryan had grabbed and beat Shayna and that she had tried to go into the house to get her things. And when she did, he grabbed the gun and threatened her. She was somehow able to get the gun away from him and then admits he was laying on the ground twitching and she thought he was going to die anyway. So she shot him a couple more times to take him out of his misery. Whoa. Yeah. That's some scary shit. Now... This is Shayna's version, okay? The photos of the crime scene describe something that look a little bit different, which, Camille, I'm going to show you here, and then... The crime scene? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Are you scared? Yeah, I'm scared, but I'm ready. I told her that this was a a cooking podcast before (laughs) I recruited her. Okay, so what do you think? It just looks like a frat house. Like, it's a mess. I feel like there's just things everywhere. I think it's like your typical young guy exactly. house. Like furniture from your parents' basement, a lot of empty bottles, things on every surface. Yeah. A lot going on. Yeah. The apartment is your standard layout of like a 2008 designed one bedroom. There's carpet everywhere and the brown dining table. There sits one chair. The top of the table is cluttered with medicine, papers, random items like that. And underneath the table next to the chair, you can't see it in the photo, but that's where Ryan was. Oh. 
Yeah. So there his body is laying in a white tank top and black sweats. The man is curled up in some sort of fetal position and there's blood that's covering his entire face. Mm -hmm. It seems to have seeped out around him. His body looks like it was like arched over with his arm covering his chest as well as this discombobulated shoe a few inches away. It looks like he was sitting in that very chair. It also looks like he was caught like off guard or surprised. And finally, um, it kind of looks like someone just like stood over him and finished whatever they started. Wow. Yeah. Now on the frantic 911 call, Shayna claims that she was incredibly scared and that this was self-defense. She explains that he had slammed her into the couch. She goes on to say that she was able to convince him to put the gun down quickly enough to grab the gun herself and shoot him to defend herself. And ultimately, like I mentioned, she wanted to put him out of his misery because she wasn't sure that he would survive the first gunshot. The conflicting crime scene to her story is strange, but it actually is her behavior in the interrogation room that is really surprising. Police quickly arrested Shayna and brought her to the precinct. She is sitting in a clean, brown, like, interrogation room, decent desk. She's wearing a red fleece. Her hair is pulled back in a messy bun. Her shoes are off and she's got some loose jeans on. At the beginning of the frame, you see her with her face resting on her hand and her elbow spread out slanted. There's a cup of coffee next to her and she kind of looks bored to be there. It gives the impression that Shayna felt like she was at the DMV or like she was filling out paperwork. Not just that, but it's kind of like you just murdered the love of your life. So how are you so cool, calm, and collected? Yeah, that's not a good look. No, not at all. She even mentioned the fact that it was going to be really hard to get another boyfriend after this, especially oh if they God. knew that she killed her ex-boyfriend in self-defense. Yeah, that's not very easy to market yourself. No, yeah. I don't even know how you'd start that off. She you should add that to your Tinder profile. Oh, yeah. I, I can add it to mine. I think you should add it to your Hinge profile. You'll get a lot of those super <laughs> sure A lot of people would be interested. <laughs> she talks about the fact that she had a paper due on Monday, but that she may not be able to hand it in now. And all these things that she said, she would kind of like giggle, whether it was nervous laughter or just oblivious ditziness. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give you a hint. If you can't tell already, this story is taking a bit of a Jody Arias turn, not just with the obsessive, unhealthy relationship between two people, but the way Shayna conducts herself when speaking with the police is similar to Jody Arias, who, if you don't know, she killed her boyfriend, Travis, and like she like stabbed him to death and then lied about it and took photos of it afterwards. Yeah. It's like, the, are you never heard of the Jody Arias no, case? Cover that one we next. have another we have a docuseries that we have to watch and and then yeah maybe i'll cover it in a podcast episode it's pretty it's, that's a big one so shayna on the other hand definitely put on a show to say the least she wanted someone in the room to talk with her about what happened and now i'm going to play that for you just a little bit how that conversation went So Shayna goes on to talk about how Ryan threw her around and grabbed her up, 
but there was no sign of that on her body. There wasn't any bruising or scratches. Not only that, but the crime scene didn't display that either. The apartment was your typical bachelor pad in decent shape. The only violence that occurred seemed to be Ryan being shot. And even the way Shannon describes the shooting was so matter of fact. She imitated him hitting the table and twitching. There was no remorse. It was kind of like listening to someone recount a story of something that occurred at a party or a day at work. It was weird how she was like whispering. That kind of freaked me out. Yeah. And then just got like very excited. Yeah. The police were shocked by her flippant nature. She explained that she simply just watched him die. It was actually pretty baffling what happens next when Shane is alone, and I'm going to actually have my listeners check it out on my Instagram and website to see the video, and Camille, I'm going to play it for you. Basically, she was singing Amazing Grace. That was so strange. And she snaps her fingers and she goes, I did it. Yep. I did it. The police have said in history they've seen people in shock, but never like this. This just didn't seem like shock. It seemed like someone who frankly didn't give a damn. Definitely. Well, do you think like maybe because like she didn't think she was being recorded. She just like. Yeah, you're right. It did give like the vibes of like. I don't have. so weird. It was like you were like she was walking around in her apartment or something. Yeah. And I feel like it just also gave off the vibe of, like, I'm going to go home. Like, this is not. Yeah. They just need me for a little bit longer. And then. And then it also gives the vibe of, you're going to jail. <laughs> Obviously, this seems like an open and shut case. On December 20th, 2012, Shayna was indicted for Ryan Poston's murder. And by January 16th, 2013, she entered a not guilty plea. Of course. Two and a half years after the murder, her trial began, and during that time, she actually had to stay in the Campbell County Jail because she was unable to make bail. Prosecutors at the time argued that the motive for the murder was that Shayna wanted Ryan dead. She had gotten a hold of information that Ryan was about to go out on a date and that he'd met someone new, the Miss Ohio USA contestant. They claimed that Shayna was obsessed with Ryan, and there were a lot of people to testify to that, including family members of Ryan's and even a former cellmate. Carissa, Ryan's cousins, who had been the connecting factor between Ryan and Shayna, also testified. She read a series of text messages between she and Ryan about him wanting to distance himself and end things with Shayna once and for all. Ryan's stepfather, Peter Carter, also testified that the day before his stepson's death, Ryan had confided in Peter about his date with Audrey Bolt and that he was really afraid to tell Shayna about it. And even Audrey Bolt, Miss Ohio USA, came up to testify as well. She explained that the two had plans for drinks and that she'd been looking forward to it. But when Ryan failed to show up, she kind of just assumed she'd been stood up. Could you imagine that like a guy stands you up and like he'd been murdered? No, I've never had that happen. Just the former, not the (laughs) latter, unfortunately. Sorry, you can get that out. No, I'm going to keep that. But (laughs) we'll be covering that for another podcast because that is a crime in itself. It is a crime. (laughs) And that guy needs to go straight to jail. Straight to jail. Straight to jail. Actually, you know what? I did have someone stand me up before, and I think that he went to jail. (laughs) 
I just felt like all hearing the theme here <laughs> that we have terrible taste. And you're going to jail. <laughs> Shana's former cellmate, Cicely Miller, also testified that Shana had bragged about killing her boyfriend. She said that Shana was laughing about shooting Ryan in the face and giving him the nose job that he always wanted. I didn't know that cellmates could testify against like their other cellmates after the crime happened. I didn't really realize that was admissible. Yeah, like it's not like they're like married until they don't have to. to or it's not like they were there before or would be like character witnesses. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize you could be a character witness after. You ever heard of like jailhouse snitch? Like the, or like just informants that like. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess I didn't really realize that. Yeah. Apparently, Shayna also discussed her legal strategy while in jail. She claimed that she was going to plead insanity originally and that because her IQ was too high, she probably would end up going with the battered wife syndrome strategy. And the look you're giving me. Now is like, I know. In this trial, Shayna did not take the stand in her own defense. She relied on the police interrogation tape where she maintains that she was killing in self-defense. However, the police also had the very interesting display of Shayna twirling around and singing and confessing to murdering Ryan. On April 23, 2015, after five hours of deliberation, Shayna was found guilty of Ryan's murder. The jury recommended a 40-year prison sentence and Shayna's attorneys were already trying to argue for a new trial. They stated that the witnesses that they wanted to have included were not allowed and would have been able to give a better insight to Shana's story. Shana's attorneys also asked the judge to recognize that Shana was a victim of domestic abuse and that because of that, she should be considered to have a lesser, more lenient sentence. This seems to have been denied and it looks like Shana was about to spend the rest of her life in jail. And I know it seems like I'm done with this case, but I am not. This is actually just the beginning. What? See, four months later after being convicted, Shayna's sentence of 40 years was actually overturned and her conviction was appealed. Wow. Yeah. I was not, I did not think that was coming. Literally. And it gets crazier. On August 25th, 2016, she was granted a new trial because of the fact that one of the jurors had withheld a felony conviction. Holy shit. Yeah. And in the city of Kentucky, the law prohibits convicted felons from serving as jurors. So Shayna was given a new trial. And it was actually set to begin on September 18th, 2017. Do you remember what your life was like in 2017? Kind of. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like it was... A, it was like not that long ago, but it was also like a long time ago too. I feel like... It was like five years ago, I guess. Mm, I'm trying to think what I was doing. I lived in that apartment in Hyattsville. Yeah, so I I wasn't where Shane was at, but you know. Yeah, definitely wasn't in jail or had facing a murder charge. It's always crazy, like when I do these cases, because it's like I think about a certain time period and like what's happening in my life versus like what's happening mm-hmm. in someone else is like so, like yeah. mind blowing to me. It was actually delayed by four months to January 16th, 2018, because Shayna had a new attorney and was given a whole new opportunity to prove her innocence. You can imagine this was devastating for Ryan's family. They were going to have to relive this horror all over again. During the first trial, Shayna was pretty confident that she was going to be found innocent. She spent a lot of her time smiling during court. It kind of just seemed like she was like aloof to what was going on. Yeah. 
But in the second trial, things were different. Shannon was determined to prove that she was a victim of domestic violence and that that horrible night in October had occurred because she was trying to protect herself. The autopsy revealed that Ryan had been shot six times, four times in his torso area and twice in the head, the bullets being centimeters away from each other in his forehead. So the first time he was shot, it was in his chest? And then suddenly goes over and like shoots him. Uh, over him? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. During this new trial, the prosecutors wanted to make clear Shayna was young, well-spoken, attractive, intelligent, but these characteristics shouldn't distract from the facts. She'd come over to Ryan's home that night and murdered him in a jealous rage. That despite her looks, she was capable of doing some heinous things. They described her as manipulative and calculated and someone that would, quote, go to the ends of the earth to get her way. David Elridge of Knoxville, Tennessee, was Shana's new lawyer, and their new plan was to explain that Shana was under extreme emotional disturbance and were hoping for a manslaughter plea, something that in Kentucky could get Shana out in a few years. Her attorney painted the photo of Ryan, who was stressed about his job, verbally abusive towards Shana, an older guy who was abusive and had used Shana up as much as he could and was done with her. Was his abuse ever corroborated by anyone? So kind of, sort of, not really. See, they first kind of used as his stature. He was over six feet, 230 pounds, and Shana was 5'8 and 120 pounds. 5'8 is actually, I feel like 5'8 is a little tall. That's tall, and that's really skinny. Yeah, she was really small compared to him. And he was going to do whatever he wanted with Shana, and that was that, and Shana was forced to defend herself. That's kind of the vibe that they were going for. But But there was no, like, history of domestic violence prior or like not, abusive behavior not specifically for like like she never confided in friends or family the police hadn't been called before but that's not to say that there wasn't anything see the prosecution began pretty intense they showed the dried bloody white shirt that ryan had been wearing that night at this point the blood had gone from bright red to brown The initial officers took the stand and explained there didn't look to be any signs of a struggle, and they reiterated that Shayna seemed, on all accounts, physically and completely fine, and even emotionally. Shayna didn't cry once. The prosecution brought up a very good friend of Shayna's named Christy Euler, a dentist who Shayna would text often. A couple days before the murder, Shana texted Christy saying that Ryan had been begging her to get his veneers done. She was hoping that Christy would F up the veneers and make him ugly so he would never <laughs> get another girl. She is psycho. She also added that she hated him. Now, of course, when people talk with their friends, they definitely don't mean certain things to get out. Of right? course. Like, I would not want my text messages published. I was literally going to say I have messages that I sent specifically to you that like needs to never go anywhere ever in life. But Shayna's messages just get darker. She says to her friend, when I go to the shooting range with Ryan tonight, I want to turn around and shoot him and kill him and play like it was an accident. Oh, that's not good. That's some scary shit. Like, could you imagine me saying that about my boyfriend? Call the police. I give you permission to call the police. That's crazy. I was going to ask, too, if she had ever shot a gun before, but I guess that answered that question. And and ironically, this text message was sent a couple days before his murder. They went to the shooting range. Wow. So she was getting some practice in. Yeah. Now, of course, this is where things get confusing because it isn't clear when Ryan had begun to distance himself from Shayna. He told friends and family that he was breaking it off with her, but he also told them that he was worried. And every time that they broke up, she would show up or stalk or harass him. 
So them taking pictures together at the shooting range and hanging out as early as 10 days before she shows up at his house and murders him, it could have been because Ryan was really trying to keep the peace. It's not completely clear if that's the case or if the two were still involved. And this seemed like more of a cheating situation. And I, I mean, I get like, I feel like it's confusing because that's kind of what the defense plays on. Shana's defense uses this to their advantage in both trials when cross-examining Audrey Bolt, for example. They take it as a time to highlight that Ryan was dating both Shayna and pursuing Audrey at the same time. In the second trial, the prosecutors also brought a woman who worked at the mall that Shayna was shopping at the day of the murder. Shayna apparently was very upset and had discovered that Ryan was going on a date that night. Which, could you imagine, like, working at, like, the kiosk and, like, you hear this girl going off and then now you're testifying at her trial where she murdered? Did she really work at the kiosk? I was wondering what store she worked at. I don't know. I don't know. Like, in the docuseries, they had, like, they put a picture up of, like, Dillard. So I was like, okay. are you at Dillard? Right. Like, this was happening? She's, like, in the shoe section or something. I feel like also I'm, like, I'm so nosy. I'm so nosy. Same. Please let me testify at your trial. Yeah, I know that would be your dream job. That would be my dream job. My dream job actually is to be a juror. If I could just get paid for being a juror, I would just sit on trial. I've been a juror day. before. We can talk about that in other podcasts. Ooh, yeah. Okay, I'm jealous. But I didn't get paid, or maybe I got paid $30 a day for two weeks. Oh, was it a juicy case? Yeah. Okay, we need to talk about this offline. I actually really want to know. <laughs> The prosecution also brought a different cellmate named Holly Nivens, who claimed that Shayna had lied about the abuse. And even though Shayna had actually claimed to be raped by Ryan as well, it turned out that that was also untrue and an act. With that, the prosecution rested their case. When it was the defense's turn, Shayna wanted to take the stand and tell her side of the story at that time. The defense had neighbors from Ryan's apartment who claimed that they heard fighting and witnessed physical abuse during Ryan and Shane's relationship. So there was someone, but that was like the only time. Psychologist Dr. Thomas Schacht also took the stand and explained that Shana was in a manic, unnormal state and was suffering from bipolar personality disorder. Now, it was Shana's turn to take the stand. Shayna looked nervous with red cheeks, her hair pulled back. After four years, she looked like she hadn't aged a day. And maybe it was her youthful look that made her testimony that much more disturbing. She explained that the two had a relationship that definitely had its problems, specifically surrounding their sex life. Shayna went on to disclose that she had difficulty orgasming. And it made her really insecure in their relationship. And Ryan also put a lot of pressure on her to do so. Shayna explained she tried to please Ryan sexually in any way that she could. They tried different ways and honestly it was all really uncomfortable to listen to. Shayna went on to express that she had to get a collagen injection or a G-spot injection into her vagina to get her to orgasm faster. When Shayna still wasn't able to orgasm, she explained that their fight got worse. Ryan would judge her for a molestation that she experienced as a child and would throw it in her face. He told her that he couldn't love her and no one would ever be able to love her. That's so cruel. That's like, yeah, if, that's, it's, true. if it's true. I don't know, though. Believe women, but she seems a little bit it, off. It, yeah, yeah. And she has to say this all on the stand. And it yeah, was like her first time. Yeah. So 
She closed out explaining that the night of the 12th, it was never disclosed how or why she showed up that night, especially with Ryan having plans with Audrey. But Shayna said that Ryan had a gun in his hand that night and he told her that he could kill her and no one would know or care. Eventually, he calmed down and set the gun on the table and that's when Shayna grabbed it. She was so scared and felt like she had to defend herself. The prosecution was unfazed. They cross-examined Shayna and they went for the jugular. They used the same text messages between Ryan and Shayna, where Shayna actually was the one complaining that Ryan did not initiate sex with her and that she didn't want to feel like she had to keep forcing herself on him, which doesn't make sense. Also very yikes. Yeah. They followed up with another message where Ryan says, quote, I know you care about me a lot and I really appreciate all of it, but it really makes it that much more apparent to me that you should probably be pursuing a relationship with one of those guys you were telling me about a couple weeks ago. This text was sent back in February of 2012 and there were more similar ones like it for the months leading up to Ryan's murder. Messages where Ryan is slowly easing out of their relationship and trying to tell Shayna that things were not working. Finally, they brought up the interrogation where Shayna just talked so badly about Ryan and didn't think that she was even really wrong for the murder. The prosecution then continued that Shayna admitted to killing her boyfriend that day. She explained that she didn't want to see Ryan die, so she shot him continuously until he was dead. The prosecution was proving the point that Shayna wasn't a victim or in an incoherent state of mind, how she was so matter-of-fact and had such a clear ability to explain what happened and talk in so much detail about the relationship, who Ryan was, and her murdering him. The prosecution closes out their cross-examination with the fact that Shayna had murdered Ryan because he was twitching, as if she were putting him out of his misery instead of trying to call the police to save his life, which was kind of similar to when a farmer shoots an injured animal. The defense closed out their case, explaining that Shannon was a young, abused woman who acted in self-defense. The prosecution closed out their case, stating Shannon was a woman scorned. If she could not have Ryan, no one could, and that she was going to have the final say in their relationship. After five hours of deliberation, similar to the first trial, the jury came back with a guilty plea. The prosecution was trying to get life. And they called Ryan's family up to express how much Ryan meant to them. Ryan's dad especially was just heartbreaking. He expressed the grief he lives with, that he has to have another 30 or 40 Christmases to spend without his son, the grandkids that he'll never meet, and that his life has been ruined. And ultimately that Ryan's kindness is what got him killed. Shayna's family also went up to spare Shayna's life. Her mother, Sharon, was heartbroken, trying to plead for her daughter to have a life to live outside of jail. Do you think your parents would do that for you? I don't know if my mom would. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess it maybe it depends on the circumstance. I think my dad, hmm, I think my dad would go up there. No, my mom, let me not do that to my mom. My mom might go up there. I think it depends on how bad. Yeah, yeah exactly. like, what did I do? Right, exactly. Like, were you actually, like... Would you go up there like, for your kid? I I also think it depends on the situation, you know? I think so, too. Not just blindly. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I definitely would probably still visit them. Yeah, I'm not saying that they wouldn't come visit me or, like, I wouldn't go visit them. But, like, I think just being, like, oh, they deserve to be outside of jail if they, like, murdered someone in cold blood is, like, a little iffy. Even with all this, 
the jury decided after a few hours again that Shayna will get life in prison. Ryan's family and friends have tried to move on as best they can. Shayna appealed the second verdict as well. She argued various problems with proceedings and that the jurors seemed to be biased. However, the Kentucky Supreme Court denied her appeal in September of 2020. Shayna is currently 31 years old and is at the Kentucky Correctional Institution for Women. She also has a profile on a site that you're allowed to kind of like be a pen pal to prisoners who don't have access to regular email. The site basically says that she's grown so much since she was 21 years old, which was at the time of her arrest, and that no one can really understand what she's gone through except for herself, and that she's just, I guess, been become like a matured person. And I guess that is kind of crazy thing about like, you were 21 years old when you did this really horrible, messed up thing. Yeah, I mean, we all messed up in our lives, but... Yeah, I didn't murder There's levels. 21. Yeah. 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 If she could go back, she says that she would do things differently than from 2012, which obviously. In June of 2018, around the time that she was trying to appeal, Shada had actually found love. She was married to another inmate named Unique Taylor, and in January of 2019, less than a year after they were married, Shana filed for divorce. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure how the couple got together and how they got married or what led to the divorce, but it's just very interesting that around the time that Shane is fighting for her freedom, she also manages to meet someone else in prison and get married. So mature. Yeah. And just also like, how? Well, I feel like things get weird in jail. Yeah. There's someone out there for anyone, everyone. Waiting to find my king. <laughs> in the particular mugshot that was taken in 2019, which is the last like photo of Shana that's been public, she is smiling. She's still spending the rest of her life in prison, and there hasn't really been much of a change since. There have been a couple different outlets that have covered this case from podcasts to short docuseries. I think one really important aspect of this case is the fact that emotional abuse can happen. It doesn't matter your gender. This relationship was taken to a point of violence and Ryan lost his life. He was in a situation where people may not have realized the severity of what was going on. What seemed like an innocent young girl who couldn't stay away was actually really volatile, toxic, and very dangerous, and ended up being something that was incredibly vindictive. In the end, I hope Ryan's family is able to find a little bit of peace, knowing that his killer is behind bars for the rest of her life. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Very intense. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I would say... Obviously, like if you're in any emotional abusive or physical abusive situation, it's important to seek help, to let your friends know, or at least someone, mm-hmm. um, and get out of it as soon as possible because it can end very badly. Yeah. It rarely ends positively. Yeah. I completely agree. And just, you know, abuse doesn't have a face. It can be Definitely anyone. Not. So don't be afraid to come forward or say anything and you're not alone and you're so much better off without this person and don't meet your lover on facebook yeah we're like not doing meta anymore go on hinge hopefully one day they'll be promoting me too or i'll be promoting them all the sponsors (laughs) thank you for joining me this week and thank you camille for being my incredible co-host 
I like really loved you being here. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. This was the best. And I really like this room that we're recording. I just feel very officia, aficionate. Oh, is that a word? Official. Official. Okay, we'll do that. We'll keep it being good. I have a true crime fact that I like to close out with each episode. Okay. So are you ready for this one? Hit me. Have you ever heard of a plant called henbane? No. Its flowers are so poisonous that smelling them causes giddiness. It contains tropane accolades, hyzocene, and a couple other things that I cannot pronounce among the many symptoms a person can experience. They include dry mouth, blurred vision, photophobia, vomiting, confusion, hallucinations, convulsions, and coma. It's infamous. Sounds like weed. Yeah, but like weed's evil cousin. Right. <laughs> it infamously was used by Dr. Crippen, who murdered his wife. And although most modern poisonings are accidental results of overdose for people trying to hallucinate, it can still be used as a weapon. If so you don't get do drugs or plants. Yeah. Or be careful what plant someone brings you because it could be uh, the henbane plant. As always, check out all my photos and sources and links to my videos from today's case at IvanaEstelle.com. Also, join the Facebook group. I'm very lonely in there. I need more friends at True Crime Storytime with Ivana Estelle. And I am Ivana Estelle on Instagram, 1N, and on TikTok, Ivana Estelle True Crime. And on Instagram, again, Ivana Estelle True Crime. And if you want to follow my bestie, do you want to give some of your socials? Yes. I am at underscore O Camille on basically all platforms. On all the things? All the things. Okay. Well, let me know if you liked this, if you loved it, please. And if you didn't like it, don't tell me anything. Um, and five stars, please. And thank you. I hope I didn't just clap super hard. I just need to get your attention at the end. Five stars, please, and thank you. Of course, tell your friends, tell your family, and I cannot wait to see you guys next week. As always, safe journey. Keep walking in the light. With love, Ivana Estelle.